of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to split your entire board game collection into clearly delineated categories. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about Euro games. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like King of the Roll and Prisma Arena. Then, we talk about what Euro games are, how the genre is evolving, and a few of our favorite Euro games. And now, here are your hosts, Bambi and Crystal. One tiny announcement before we hop into the main episode, and that is that in two days from the day of this episode releasing, Ambi and I are hosting an Extra Life Karaoke Day on our Twitch channel. And we know a lot of you that are live overseas have been very sad that you've missed our karaoke nights in the past because we typically do them at night in the U.S. And that is middle of the morning slash night for you all. So you know what? We're, we're doing two. We're doing two streams. It's happening. <laughs> we're going to try and hit as many time zones as we can. So Saturday, November 7th, from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Pacific, we will be doing karaoke. And from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific. So two different streams on the same day. I hope a whole bunch of you can stop by. Um, and if you want to sing, you can. All you have to do is get the free Twitch Sings program. We're going to be posting about this on social media this week. So if you go to our Facebook, Twitter, etc., all the places, you'll see information about it there. But Twitch Sings is going away as of January. And so we wanted to get some more karaoke in before our program that we've been using disappears. Yeah. And this Saturday is also Extra Life. You all have heard us talk about Extra Life in the past. It is a charity organization that raises money for the Children's Miracle Network. We have raised some money for them this year already. And so we will also be soliciting donations for that during the streams as well. So hopefully, if you all are able, you'll be able to donate a little bit to Extra Life. It is a really, really good cause. Recently, I got a review copy of King of the Roll, which is an upcoming Kickstarter game designed by Marcus Jargarden and published by Guard Games. This is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu-themed dice game. And it's actually a pun in the title, King of the Roll, because in Brazilian jiu-jitsu or BJJ, a fight is called a roll when you're like rolling on the mat. And I, I was just thinking... That's what it is. But then I realized, oh, it's a dice game. You're rolling dice. <laughs> so that is I, I realized clever. that on my second play that it was a pun. <laughs> but anyway, so in King of the Roll, the two-player game, it takes about 20 minutes to play. You're going into different positions of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and you're trying to go for submissions or points. And the way you play is you have 10 dice, two of each of five colors. The One of each color is already on your mat in a ready-to-play section, so you have numbers up, and those ones you can use to place on your other mat to do certain moves, or you use the other dice that you just rolled that turn and use what you rolled. So you're going to roll dice, and you can either use that number or put that die onto your mat of existing dice, and you modify the existing dice and then use that one. So like... If you don't like your rolls, you can use it to modify your other dice. So you always have dice that you know you have at least that number to place. And you want high numbers because in order to do the moves, they have certain numbers on the moves that you have to get over that number in order to place the die. And you have to like place so many dice to be successful. And you want to have a higher total than your opponent in order for your move to happen. So 
whoever rolls higher will probably win, but because of the modifications, it allows you to save up to get a better move later because you can like modify and then get a bunch of sixes saved up for next turn and then kind of like not do as well this turn, but do better next turn. You also get a couple cards that you can use to change your rolls. So also in King of the Roll, when you're playing, you're you're each placing one die one at a time back and forth. So you're seeing what your opponent is placing and then you play your next die. So you can see like how many dice they're placing, what their total sum is. And then d- depending on what the difference is, like different things happen. So depending on what move you're going for, something is going to happen. You can be going for a certain position and you will want to end up in a specific position too because there's four different characters and each person gets a different character at the start and they have different positions that they're good at. So if you're in that position, you get an advantage. So you get a bonus addition to your die rolls. So at the beginning, you do a takedown and the difference between your two die rolls determines like what position you end up in. So you're like looking at the other person, what they're playing and... You want to get like this much difference. So, oh, I only want to play this one, even if I'm letting them get the top position. So it it, it felt really thematic because you're, you're trying to maneuver into the position that you're good at because people have preferred positions in jujitsu. And then there's also like the looking at what your opponent is placing and, and trying to be just right. There, there's also the modifying the dice and saving up for the next turn. It's kind of like conserving your energy for later in the match when you need it for the submission. So it was really cool because I, both Toby and I do, or like I used to do jujitsu and Toby does jujitsu still. So we knew the theme really well. And if you know the theme, the theme is integrated pretty well. The rules might be a little confusing if you don't know the theme. The rule book didn't have everything in in one place. Like some rules are just at the back in the glossary, but it's a, it's a short rule book and like a pretty quick game. So it's not too hard to learn. You just read the whole rule book. <laughs> when we played, we played King of the Roll four times and we ended up getting submissions every time, even though there's two modes, there's a points mode or a submission mode. So even when we played the points mode, we, we got submissions every time since, since we were able to get the modifications to get the dice rolls high. So it seemed pretty easy to like go for submissions. I think we were playing correctly because we like read through the rules multiple times and like looked at the rule video. So I think it was easy to get uh, the submission. And so the matches weren't as long as we would have liked because it would be cooler to have a longer match and go through multiple positions. But we just ended up getting submissions on like the second or third round each time. (laughs) But it was it was fun. It was a fun thematic game, pretty quick. And it's still a dice game. So rolling better still helps you win. But since it's so short and the theme is pretty neat, it's still fun. And Toby actually said it's one of his favorite dice games, which is wow. pretty good. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, admittedly, Toby and dice are not something that typically... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but still. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. He was like really excited to play it and we, we both liked it. So that's King of the Roll. It's coming out on Kickstarter November 10th. Awesome. Well, I am also talking about a review copy. Our friends over at Hub Games, who publish such titles as Holding On, The Troubled Life of Billy Kerr, Mega City Oceana, Flip Over Frog, they have a new game that is coming out this month called Prisma Arena. Prisma Arena is an arena battling game for two to four players designed by John Fiore and Rory O'Connor. This is like if the video game Super Smash Brothers 
and the Pixar movie Inside Out had a baby, and that baby was a board game. (laughs) So let me explain. So you and your opponents all take control of a hero and small creatures called Mokan that represent emotions. So that's where the Inside Out reference comes in, because you've got these little creatures, like one is happiness, one is anger, one is... I don't know why I can't think of any other emotions other than happiness and anger right now, but like there's, there's a whole bunch of them. And in a two player game, you control one hero and two Mokan. So you have two different Mokan and they have special abilities that are based on the emotions that they're based on. In the game, you've got an arena laid out with some variable components like obstacles and things like that that are in the arena. And you you can do three things on your turn. Well, technically four. You have three main actions, move, strike, and blast. Strike is basically a melee attack and blast is a ranged attack. And then you also have combo cards in your hand. And the really cool thing is you have a little dial in front of you that you turn to signify what action a specific character is taking. But then you can also combo off of the normal moves. So you can do a combo card by itself, or you can do a move action. And then based on the icons on the move action and on the combo cards in your hand, you can do a move and then a combo. And then you can actually stack additional combo cards behind it based on the iconography on the cards. So you can end up doing a whole bunch of things in one turn. And all you're trying to do is just damage your opponents. Once a character has a certain amount of damage on it based on its how much life it has, then it is taken off of the board briefly. But then they, I don't remember what it's called. If you, you're, you don't pass out. It's something <laughs> friendlier sounding than that. But the characters come back really quickly and the opponents get points based on how much damage they had done to the character before it was taken off of the board. So in a two player game, obviously it's just one person getting the points, but in a multiplayer game, then multiple people theoretically might get points when a character gets knocked out because they, if they did damage to it, then they get that amount back in points. This is one of those games that as I was playing it, I just kept getting more and more impressed. Honestly, like when I first took it out of the box, it didn't look that special. Like, well, when I say that, I kind of mean that in two different ways. It looked special in its component quality and artwork. It is gorgeous, but the gameplay did not look like anything special. And the more we played, the more I realized how incredibly well designed and developed this game is. The iconography is spectacularly clear. Everything is clearly defined in all of the places you want it to be. Like, you know how we talk about sometimes how we're like, oh, yeah, like that icon, you know, you have to look it up and whatever. And it's fine, but it's really kind of annoying that like, I wish they put it here instead. None of that exists in this game. It's in all of the right places. I literally like we just we read through the rule book. And we started playing and then I was like, what is that? Oh, it's that. What does this mean? Oh, yep, it's right there. Like literally every time I had a question, it was instantly answered by the game. Like it's just right there presented to you. One of the most exciting things about this game is it's not really a campaign style game per se, but you can level up your characters as you go. So as you play the game more and more, you can get new equipment and new abilities for your characters. And the heroes are gender ambiguous to start. So you're like, okay, well, what does that mean? They're very nondescript. 
And the game comes with reusable stickers that you can use to completely customize your hero. And I'm talking their facial expressions, their hair, their outfit, everything. So anyone can pick up this game and make the character that they want to be. And the stickers are really high quality. And the game comes with a little like folder for you to put the stickers into after you're done with them. Obviously, I haven't played it for like a super long time. So I can't say how they would hold up after years and years, but they seem really good. They stick really well to the little standees. And the standees are double-sided front and back. And the stickers are also like there's a front and a back. So like when I put this cool purple hair onto my character there's a sticker for the front and a different sticker for the back so like it doesn't matter what side like this is one of those games where I'm like wow a mini would be worse here like honestly Mm -hmm. a standee is perfect because it's actually customizable I really really enjoyed this even though like battle style games are not generally my thing I would say if you are a family that has preteen aged kids like maybe somewhere in like the 8 to like 13 or 14 range this is a brilliant get for you and I'm not saying it would only appeal to kids but this feels like you know if you have kids that like Smash Brothers or like Mario Party or things you know things like games like Street Fighter for instance is really old whatever kids don't play that anymore you know but like if they're playing Fortnite and they're like love like killing their friends this feels like (laughs) the perfect board game for them they get to make their own hero and then it's really easy to learn and pick up super approachable and it has a quick start guide that gets you into the game really easily too I was kind of blown away by this. It's honestly hard for me to find anything to say negative about it. And again, this is a genre of games that I'm typically not into. And I'm not saying that like, I love this game and will continue playing it forever. Because again, it's not my thing, but I love it for what it is. And I actually kind of do want to play it more. So I guess that does mean something. <laughs> wow. Like, like, yeah, this is just, I man, it's just so clean I really, really enjoy it. And I would highly recommend it. I think it's coming out really soon. I want to say it was supposed to release here in early November. I believe it is up for pre-order still on Hub Games website. But I imagine it'll also come out at your friendly local game store too. So if you reach out to a local store, they might be able to get a copy of it. So that is Prisma Arena from Hub Games. Wow. The sticker thing seems so cool. Like... That's like in video games where you can customize your character, but in a board game, that's that's really I neat. honestly, <laughs> I was shook. It's so neat. And uh, my friend Kathy, who played it with me, was also like, wow, wow. Like, this is really cool. Ambie, I'm mixing up our format. Ooh. I know. Everybody, <laughs> oh. everything's upside down. I'm going to do etymology before we do our thematic discussion, because I think it's a good lead in for what we're going to discuss today. Okay, I'll allow it. (laughs) I appreciate (laughs) that. Well, Lana just coughed, so I don't know if she's okay with it, but whatever. So we're going to be talking about Euro games here in a little bit, but I thought it might be good to kind of discuss what a Euro game is and where the term came from, because I think that will help lead us into our discussion. So the origin of the term Euro game is not 
a hundred percent clear, but it seems like the internet has generally decided that in 1995, a person named Dave Howell, who was working at Wizards of the Coast, came up with the term as an alternative to what was then the standard term German game. So German game had been used previously, but obviously not all games come from Germany. But when you're trying to describe a Euro game that comes out in America by saying German game, that could be confusing to people or make them think that it's a foreign game when in fact that's not the case. So what is a Euro game? Well, if I head over to Board Game Geek, they have a page that kind of defines it. It's a classification of board games that share a set of similar characteristics, but a game doesn't have to fit all of the criteria to be considered a Euro game. So most Euro games share some of the following elements. Player conflict is indirect and usually involves competition over resources or points. Combat is rare. Players are usually not eliminated from the game. There is little randomness or luck. The designer of the game is listed on the game box's cover. Attention is paid to the artwork and components. Often pieces are made of wood, whereas plastic and metal are more rare. Euro games have a theme, but the theme often has very little to do with the gameplay. And some Euro games have multiple paths to get scoring points or secure victory. So that is what a Euro game is and where the term came from. So now we can talk about whether we think this term actually is helpful. Because <laughs> like the more I think about it, I'm like... <laughs> Especially to a non-hobby gamer, if someone outside of the hobby, the term Eurogame doesn't mean anything, really. <laughs> yeah. I personally have found myself using other terms. Generally, when, when somebody asks me, oh, you play board games? I'm like, yeah, I tend to divert to other things like hobby games or mm -hmm. strategy games. Like, those are the terms that I tend to go to when I'm talking to non-gamers. But when I am talking to hobby gamers, I do say Eurogame. So I kind of do both. Yeah. But then Eurogame seems to have a different meaning now, too, than those definitions. Because people think of Eurogame as, like, the boring ones without art, right? And you said attention is paid to art and components. Whereas right! Like, <laughs> that's not, like, what do you think of typical Eurogame? You think of, like, a boring brown game or something <laughs> right like the where the bland theme yeah. like yeah like the just generic stuff <laughs> oh random villagers on tiles or whatever or yeah. wheat and corn yeah like but but i mean like that that's not what euro game is either there, there are a lot of euro games with a lot of like art and components and theme too though so <laughs> that's for me where things get not confusing but like muddy because, I mean, was there ever a defining line? Probably not. It, the line has always been wiggly, but I think over time the line has almost disappeared to some degree. And now you just have, it's like a Venn diagram where you've got two circles and they were, they used to be farther apart and now they've just been merging closer and closer together. So there mm -hmm. are still what you could define as pure Euro games, I think to some degree those exist. And games that are like all theme and dice and banananess. And then there's a lot of games that fall in that middle region that mm -hmm. kind of do the best parts of both worlds. Yeah. And those are just designer games, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like that's and that's kind of where I was thinking, like, why what term would actually be beneficial? Is there 
a better term for what we today, like, because when I say Euro game, I'm not usually talking about the most bland, you know, versions Mm -hmm. of these things. I'm talking often about what I actually believe to be hybrid games now, where it is Euro elements, but it might have other things in it. Like, truthfully, when I was making a list for this episode about like, okay, here are some Euro games I like, I realized I had put a couple games on the list that really are not Euro games, but they're not Amera thrash games either. Yeah, like, like I, I don't know what makes a game a Euro game anymore because it's, the definitions change so much and then games change so much. So like it, it's hard to categorize games and I don't always I don't really like categorizing games either because it's not useful. I think it's more useful to just talk about games based on like how the, that game is, the mechanisms of that game instead of saying like, oh, it's a Euro game or a Amera thrash game like right that doesn't say as much it is interesting though because i do know people who are drawn to and really like love 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 the ones that in my head are kind of pure more pure euro games Mm -hmm. so like people who love like castles of burgundy but that has dice in it doesn't it yeah well like uh, early euro games had dice like Catan was like right german games right it's got trading it's got player interaction it's like it's really it's not a euro game but it is that's what it was because it's indirect player interaction it doesn't have fighting it's indirect player interaction and that's how they started like older euro games before i don't know what year but like older ones had a lot of interaction like uh kalis hansa teutonica actually that one's not even that old well Okay, now it is, but... <laughs> I board games um, age very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking, like, pre-2000, but, like, those those are probably after 2000, but that's still really old. <laughs> I mean, but, yeah, like, th- those yeah. are very, very interactive, but... So, like, the Euro games have evolved throughout the years to become different types of interaction. Like, worker placement was really popular after Agricola, I think, and then things have changed because like worker placement is less i think a lot of those have been less mean maybe i would say that that's probably accurate and i think a lot of worker placement games are also doing interesting things that fall outside of what most people would consider to be typical euro mechanisms Mm -hmm. like dinosaur island i think is a good example of that it's a worker placement game but it doesn't feel like a euro game to me when i'm playing it yeah, so <laughs> I don't know, like, what feels like a Euro game anymore. <laughs> I mean, are these arbitrary categorizations of games helpful? Like, oh, you like Castles of Burgundy, so you'll probably also like Carpe Diem. But, like, is that, is are direct comparisons to other games more beneficial than the categorizations, I suppose? I think, yeah, direct comparisons are more beneficial. Like, if you like a couple of these games, then you might like a couple of these other games because they're similar. But, like, a Euro game has... It's too vague to have as much meaning because a lot of games can be a Euro game and it could be... You like it for different reasons, too. Like, you might like the interaction Euro games, which are very different from the non-interaction Euro games. And you might like the dice Euro games or... I don't know. <laughs> There's lots of different types of hero games. So. Yeah, that's that's true. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
I have some things that I wrote down on my list. I'll just name like a few of them. And these are games mm-hmm. that I all in my head kind of think of as Euro games. And I'm not saying I am right or that is accurate. But like mm-hmm. in my head, the games that I own and like that I would kind of consider to be Euro. Architects of the West Kingdom. I think most people would probably agree with that one. Castell. But like there's parts of Castell that fall outside of normal Euro things. Happy Pigs feels like a Euro to me. The networks, like these all feel like Euro games, but some of them do things that a typical Euro game doesn't do. Like what? I haven't played most of those, so I don't know. I don't know, just like, because there is more like variability. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. necessarily luck, though, in some of these games. Castell is probably pure Euro, is it? I don't know. <laughs> okay, what about like Fantastic Factories? Have you played that one yet? Yes. Okay, there's a lot of dice in Fantastic Factories, but I don't think yeah. I would categorize it as like an Amerithrash game, obviously. It feels like a Euro game to me, but there's tons of dice. There's lots of luck and randomness, but there's yeah. also a lot of skill in using the luck-driven stuff. It's that whole input randomness versus output randomness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Euros don't have to not have dice. Like A lot of Euros have dice. But I feel like we as gamers sometimes see dice and think non-euro or at least maybe me like if i see a lot of dice in a game but like one of the first ones you said was castles of burgundy that has dice (laughs) so and i love dice for the record i just in case anybody is new here i just want to make it very clear i love dice (laughs) give me all of the dice in my games but 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 yeah i guess it's like the way the dice are used because euros tend to use them more as like the input randomness right versus the output random is like, oh, I'm going to try to do this. Then I roll a dice and see if it works. Whereas right. zeros tend to be like, oh, I roll the dice. Now what can I do with the dice? So I think well, that's yeah. like the what differentiates euro from non-euro, <laughs> I guess, for with dice. Yeah, no, that's actually a really good point. So do you have any euro games that you are particularly fond of? It's hard, hard to tell like which of my games that I like are euros because I'm, I'm trying to think through my top 100 list. But I already mentioned Hansi Teutonica I like, but I've only played it a few times. Like Dungeon Pets is a Euro, I think. I still want to play oh, that with you. I've said that for years, but I'm just <laughs> going to keep saying it until we make it happen eventually. <laughs> yeah. um, a, a lot of Vital Lacerda games I like, but those are those are like thematic Euros. So, what, but here's the thing. Why, and I'm, this, I'm saying this to you and to me because I do the same thing. Why do we at this point feel the need to say thematic euro you know what i'm saying (laughs) yeah yeah. i do the exact same thing i'm like oh i like castell or the networks because they are thematic euros and that's why i like them but why can't i just be like no i like euro games now when we started this podcast four and a half years ago (laughs) i said i don't like euro games i'm pretty sure in some form i was like oh no i don't i don't like euro games at all like that was a true that wasn't me lying i really in just the past five years, A, I've become more knowledgeable <laughs> about what games <laughs> exist, and also a whole bunch of really neat, what I'm, I'm calling hybrid games have come around, and then I'm like, no, like that, that's a Euro game, basically, and I like it. Yeah, well, I think I'm just like still, I always called them thematic Euros, because okay. like they existed four or five years ago. Right. Like Dungeon Pets and the Vital Lacerda games that I played, like they existed then. Uh, they, they just weren't as many of them, I guess. Or, or maybe I just didn't know about <laughs> them as much. Do you think that some of the thematic Euros 
that existed earlier on tended to fall on the heavier side of weight as far as game difficulty is concerned. Because in my head, I'm thinking the stuff you're naming and the stuff that I was aware of, it feels mm -hmm. like they tended to be on the heavier side more usually. And now I've seen more thematic euros that are a little bit lighter in weight. Yeah, that's true, I think. So I wonder if that has helped contribute to my personal yeah. shift. Yeah, I don't, I can't actually think of that many euro games before, like back then though. So it's hard for me to know if there were lighter ones that are also thematic because I can't like think what and existed back then. And obviously light and heavy is kind yeah. of subjective to some degree. I mean, people can rate a thing as whatever, but yeah. there are certain games. Like I think Champions of Midgard would be a really good example of like a hybrid that mm -hmm. some people might find a little bit heavier, but I, it's, you know, it's, some people might be like, oh no, that's kind of light. Like it kind of is in weirdly in the middle. Mm-hmm. But then, like, yeah, a lot of the Euros I liked were heavy, so that's probably why I only know of the heavy ones anyway. Right. I don't know if there will be any kind of a natural end point to this conversation. <laughs> Honestly, I think that this is a really interesting topic. There is one thing, though, that I was thinking about, and I wanted to get your thoughts on. Mm -hmm. I never think of card games as Euro games, ever. Like, in my head... Like Card games are a separate category. But card like games, games can with also cards be Euro or... games. No, like games yeah. that are purely cards. Purely cards. So just like something like Herbaceous would be, I think, a good mm -hmm. example. I mean, technically you have the little like player like tokens in there, but it's the mm -hmm. game itself is all cards. Uh -huh. What about like Race for the Galaxy? That's definitely a... That I mean, you have tokens, yeah, but like score counters... It, it's a card game. Brace for the Galaxy is a card game, and it's a Euro mm. game. But in mm. my head, I don't think of card <laughs> games as Euro games, and I don't know why. Maybe I'm huh. the only one. What about, like, Sprawlopolis from Buttonshine? I have that one still. Oh, man. <laughs> I need to play that. We should, I wonder if there's an online implementation of that. I would definitely teach that to you. Oh, wait, shoot. We could probably play that over Skype. I could literally just put your hand of cards up to a camera, because it's not like it's oh. really secret information anyway. Uh-huh. We should, we could do that. We could definitely do that. Okay. I'm going to make that happen at some point. <laughs> I love Sprawl. That's probably a Euro game then. Yeah. By like, but like the definitions that we've been reading. And <laughs> right. But then the thing is, I would say, but, oh, it's a wallet game or it's a card yeah, game. <laughs> but yeah, those are like more specific and more useful terms than Euro game. <laughs> that's true. So I guess that's what we've been saying. So basically Euro <laughs> is a catch-all for generally larger board games that have to do with specific elements that I read off from that page on Board Game <laughs> yeah. Geek. So we've had a roundabout discussion to come around to, yeah, okay, that was kind of a pretty good d d thing that Board Game Geek has on their page. <laughs> I do think, though, that especially if we're trying to relate to non-hobby gamers, that the term is not that useful. Yeah, I try not to use it with, with non-hobby gamers because... Yeah, they're not going to know what I'm talking about. And then I'll just sound weird. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. For the month of November, you can get 20% off your order of all non-exclusive items sold at GrayFoxGames.com by entering the promo code BGBFALL at checkout. Make sure you also head to Kickstarter to check out Campaign Trail 2nd Edition with the new Green Party expansion. Gray Fox Games, quality games cleverly crafted. 
Support our show and get cool perks for as little as $1 a month by visiting patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. As a patron, you'll get access to pre-edit recordings and our private Slack channel where you can chat with us and other players every day. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time, hey you, OMG, roll the die. OMG, roll the die. OMG, roll the die. Bye, everyone. Bye. Finally, we wrap. Okay, nope, that's not accurate anymore. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs>